you are listening to Demise of the Podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I discuss writing, specifically today, my own writing, as we get back into Surviving New America, my brand new third novel. And I guess I should open with how the book did this week, since it's only been out for two days now. Last year, when I published Demise of the Trinity, I tried to hype the book up as much as I could. It ended up being a Amazon bestseller, which really didn't amount to much. But a lot of people downloaded and read my book. So, I'm curious. How? A book where I... Notably, went to the trouble to do all the things that you're supposed to do for a book. I designed a cool cover. People have been complimenting me on this cover since I displayed this cover. I had hype going for the book on my Twitter feed for months. I talked about the writing process for this book for almost a year because I started writing it last March or April and I have been actively talking about this book on the podcast, on my Twitter feed. People know about this book. People pre-ordered this book, mind you. So it has a subtitle that helps with Amazon searching. So if someone is looking for post-apocalyptic or sci-fi or highbrow, medium brow, whatever, they have an idea of what the book is about, kind of. They can see the cover. They see all this shit. It looks like a book that you would pick up in Target or Barnes & Noble. But despite all this, a short story that I released this week to help promote Surviving New America, Birch and Philly, has done better in sales than Surviving New America. And... What's really interesting is I think Price of the Trinity, which has been kind of a sleeper, I think it's done better than this new book. Which, you know, whatever. I have done everything that I can without shelling out money. And honestly, one of the big reasons why I haven't paid for advertising is because for one thing I've got a, a wide Twitter audience I see how many people see my tweets versus the people who like them by the way we are all able to see who is able to look at your tweets how many people look at your tweets whatever but people are aware of the book and it isn't a bestseller I didn't expect it to be but I expected uh, a bit more interest. And, of course, per the typical writing community of Twitter, the book has been retweeted, liked, commented on, but I none of those people, unless they've shown me that they've bought it, have purchased it. Uh, a lot of the people who have pre-ordered it, they said, hey, I pre-ordered it, which was nice of them. I appreciate them. I just hope... That at least one of the people who bought and downloaded or purchased the paperback because one of my uh, lovely followers bought the paperback and showed me a picture of the paperback and he had his cute kid in the picture. 
little baby. I was I was very pleased with that. I I don't care about literary success. I care about babies. My wife and I would like to have a child together. Um, as fate would have it, that's not always in the cards for people. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this book. Because today we're getting into Rodney Daniels' chapter and then back to Holner. So I didn't hear anything about the first podcast. Haven't heard much about anyone from anyone who's downloaded this long-ass book. But it is a long-ass book. People are busy, whatever. But it's interesting that Birch is kind of a selling point at this point for me as a character. I have made it clear that he's in this book. I even tweeted today about it. I ended up deleting the tweet because no one interacted with it. And I spammed the hell out of my feed earlier today. My wife and I were stuck in traffic on the way to uh, another town. She was exchanging something that she'd bought. And there was traffic up and down I-20 because of two of the lanes being closed. So I had plenty of time to start trouble on Twitter. But today was in some ways a bust, in some ways a success. Had some very tasty food today from a local Mexican restaurant that I'd never tried before. That was fun. We did a DoorDash from this little Mexican place, and I got a tongue taco because I like cow tongue. I got the chorizo taco, which was very good, and I also got a beef taco, which is maybe steak, but it was really good too. I was pleased. I think I'll get it again. It was expensive because it was DoorDash, but we were lazy. I had the money, so why not? But it would be nice if I had uh, some success from this book and could buy some McDonald's with the money because that's usually what I'm able to do with the amount of money that I make from my books. According to Amazon, because I price these books so low, for instance, Surviving New America is $7.99, $8 in paperback, um, I make $0.07 cents from that. I have made all of my books 99 cents on Kindle, except for my poetry compilation, because that is four of my books compressed into one book, but that's $2.99, so not a big, not a big deal. But, you know, I make all of my, my, my stuff as accessible as possible. I don't really care about profits. I don't really care to make a lot of money from my writing just yet. If I were a bigger name, sure, I'd fucking sell my stuff for a little bit more. Why not? But I want to make I want to make it clear that I'm more interested in people reading than making a profit. And not everyone is in that position. I've noticed. I I've talked about how a lot of the people on writing Twitter have talked about how they would be willing to give up writing for a million dollars, whatever. A lot of them thought they were being smart and said, well, I'd write in secret. People are fucking stupid, let me tell you. Anyway, 
none of them are listening to this podcast. So those of you who are listening to this podcast are the ones who know exactly who I'm talking about. And it's interesting because the material that a lot of those writers put out is fairly generic. And so be it. Someone out there has to write it. I'm trying to write stuff that's different. It's unique. I don't know that it's good. I'm not saying that I'm a genius or anything, but I am doing stuff that's an attempt to be different and unique. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that more people should, but it's not always what sells, unfortunately. I mean, today I showed a picture of a obvious Twilight knockoff that is as a whole series that's available in Target. I was just walking through Target and saw it, took a picture of it, put it on Twitter, found the author's Twitter profile. She only has 3,000 followers, and she's not. she mostly retweets political shit. By the way, if you want to be successful on Twitter, uh, sometimes retweeting stuff mindlessly without having a personality, yeah, that'll get you a lot of followers if you retweet the people who follow you. But for the most part, it doesn't really work. You have to have a personality. You have to engage with your, your audience. And admittedly, over the past few months, I have not been great at really talking to many people outside of the small circle of people that I've always kind of talked to on Twitter. And I, I'd like to change that, but unfortunately, when I scroll through my Twitter feed, there are a lot of people that I don't know because I follow back writers, and I can't remember over 9,000 people. So it's difficult to engage when a lot of the stuff that is posted on writing Twitter is just the same shit over and over, or people asking the same dumb questions over and over. One of my favorite accounts um, over the past few months has devolved into that because they have discovered that the key to getting a lot of likes and uh, feedback replies at least is to just post dumb generic questions and you know last year especially around the beginning of quarantine I was posting a lot of dumb questions because I thought it was funny but I stopped because it, it just became a thing where other people were taking my questions and reusing them and one guy in particular I've talked about this before but this one guy not only took one of my questions blatantly, someone called him out on it, and I blocked him. And then he tried to follow me on Instagram. I, I suppose he wanted to talk about it or something, and I blocked him on Instagram. Well, then I look later, because occasionally I look through my blocked contacts on Twitter, and he blocked me back on Twitter after I blocked him on Instagram. So he apparently got the message. Anyway... Are you ready to get into this? Because I am. Let's start reading the third and fourth chapter of Surviving New America. So I'm reading out of this big-ass book. I tried to make it big in a comfortable sense, and this book is essentially a small phone book. So let's get into Rodney's chapter, shall we? Heather holds the tranquilizer behind the boy as I stand in the doorway until he notices me. Sarah looks up from the table and finishes chewing an onyx cookie as I sit down across from him. 
I requested Heather to dim the lights in here to make him more comfortable, but that makes the stones and the walls feel like a dungeon. I smile at him so he knows we're friends, but he's not ready to give us anything back. Patients who suffer emotional trauma, even those who inflict physical harm upon others, need heartening and refreshment to open up. I'm scratching my ear right now. Is that chair comfortable, I ask? I can bring you something softer. It's fine, Sarah whispers. All right. Do you need more lemonade? No, sir. His polite demeanor overjoys me. His mother did a good job for the first five years. From my understanding, he's causing people to die, seemingly at random, but all the reports of the incident at his school indicate it was triggered when another boy pushed him. Everyone should realize that children are delicate yet dangerous after 2033. Alan Price was 18 when he destroyed New York City. Columbine was the result of children with access to guns, but Sarah doesn't even touch the people he kills. I imagine he killed Price the moment they met. I want to make sure you're comfortable and relaxed, Sarah. My name is Dr. Rodney Daniel, and I'm a psychiatrist. Do you know what that is? No, sir. Do you know what a brain is? Psychiatrists are like doctors for your brain. We don't touch it or anything, because most people have healthy brains physically. Now, from what I see, you're just as healthy as any other boy. However, the state of Georgia considers you dangerous because of your enhancement. You have a special ability, sort of like a superhero. Have you ever read a comic book, Sarah? What's a comic book? Well, in the 20th century, there were these little books, sort of like magazines, that had pictures of big men and women with superpowers. In the 21st century, they started appearing in movies where they fought big bad guys. Maybe you can fight the bad guys for New America one day. I don't like fighting. That's okay, too. I don't like to fight either. Does fighting scare you? Yeah. Sarah looks at the cookies and pushes the plate away. The last thing I want to do is make him afraid. I'm more than certain that fear is what triggers his ability. When his teacher yelled at him for killing that boy, she died instantly. A nurse tried to prick his finger at the police station afterward, and she fell on the floor, which triggered Sarah's panic attack. The police didn't even come to comfort him because they were afraid of him. One officer they call Monk was the one to call me. Do you have a friend, Sarah? Chris, he says. That's your only friend? He was. I'll never get to see him again. You will, I say. But until then, I want to be your friend. I want to be your best friend. Okay. Now, can I ask you what happened without it upsetting you? Do you want something else to eat? Maybe some gummy worms or chocolate candy? May I have some apple juice? Sarah asks. The way he perks up makes my eyes water. I nod and rise from my seat because we can't risk anyone coming in here with us. He knows not to look back at Heather. If he even turns his head too far, she'll shoot him with a dart. That's how the police were able to transport him here. The tranquilizer probably lingers in his system, causing him calm demeanor. My grandmother made me juice from the apples in her backyard. 
She was alive when the internet ruled everything and you could buy Martinelli's juice in a big glass jug. And 2095, we take our usable glass jars to the store for juice. Back then, you didn't have to wash them out. Luckily, hospitals and rehab facilities have access to dispensers, so I only have to hold a glass under a spout. Returning to the juice, Sarah's feet dance and his eyes widen. He thanks me before taking a long sip. I already love this kid. He might kill me, but an elephant could stop on a zookeeper inadvertently, too. What do you like to drink with your meal at school? Strawberry milk, Sarah says. What did Chris drink? Chocolate milk. Were you and Chris playing the last time you saw him? Kinda. He was looking at ants on the tree on the playground. Were you looking at them with him? I was just there because he was. You'd rather not look at ants, I take it. They bite. I should see if I can speak with Chris's parents sometime. I'd be interested to know if he has a form of autism or a learning disability. Fixating on insects isn't uncommon for children, but if Sarah wasn't exactly thrilled about it, then that tells me Chris, at the very least, might have ADD. I'm not trying to diagnose a child I don't know so much as figure out Sarah. If he only has one friend, gets bullied at such a young age, and possesses a deadly defense mechanism, then there's something else triggering him. Losing his mother is traumatic enough, but the fact that he didn't request to go to Portland to live with his father tells me there was something waiting to come out. So, why did the other boys come to bother you? Bobby and Jarvis were being mean to Chris. Oh, I say. They didn't come over to talk to you first? They say Chris was retarded. Oh God, that word. You can destroy the world's financial infrastructure, live without electricity for almost a century, and rebuild only to have words like retarded remain insensitively relevant. Someone should have killed Barbie and Jarvis's parents. Children either learned from their parents or other children. Do you think Chris is retarded? I ask. No. He's just different. Different how? He's... Got a high voice, like a girl. He gets hyper a lot. I see. And why did they decide to turn on you instead of Chris? I always defend him. That's sweet of you. How'd you feel about Bobby and Jarvis? They weren't nice to us. Bobby was only nice to girls. Is Bobby the one who pushed you? Sarah nods and looks at the glass. If fear triggers his defense mechanism, then we'll have to keep him here for the rest of his life. That's a terrible existence. He didn't ask for this, though it may be a gift. Before 2085, you might have just shot him. I want to believe our culture evolved in the past 10 years. He's a child, and we're not savages anymore. I know that if you could take it all back, you would, I say. You're a good person, Sarah. This is why I'm going to help you. What you did wasn't necessarily beneficial to society, but this isn't a curse. God gave you a gift. God did this, he asked. He did. That's why we know it's not a bad thing. God is good. 
Heather stands behind us as I hold Sarah's hand and escort him down the narrow hallway we reserve for special patients. No one can be inside except a doctor with a patient, and all patients are locked in a room without windows. Their beds are cemented into the floor, and a mounted television screen allows them to have some form of mental nourishment rather than plain stone walls. I'll make sure they put some apple juice on your dinner tray, I say. Oh, thank you, Sarah walks back into his room. Before I close the door, Sarah grins back at me. That really thaws my heart. He trusts me now, and as long as I never scold or intimidate him, I will never die at his hand. It almost hurts that I'm going to profit from his talent soon. Once I get him settled, we can work on controlling his fears and focusing that power. So let's talk about Rodney Daniel for a moment. I don't know that I'll have much to say about the next Holner chapter, but with Rodney Daniel, I want to tell you a little bit about how I came up with this character. We all know about Dolores Umbridge, the now well-known Harry Potter villain who is always smiles and kindness, but beneath all that smile and kindness is a lot of hate and evil. And with Rodney Daniel, I wanted to write a almost Hannibal Lecter-style character, but without the cannibalism. I wanted to see how evil I could make someone without having them do explicitly evil things or have an evil perspective because Rodney wants to use Sarah. And you'll see later on in the novel how he does that. But it's not without its benefits because he does help Sarah. Uh, He ends up helping him a lot. But he also misuses Sarah and his power. And you'll also see a, a more evil side of him later on with something that he does with another character. But Rodney is also interesting because um, he's one of two prominent homosexual characters in this book. Uh, he is married to a man and... Um, Mansur Sean is also homosexual. And the reasoning behind that is, one, I, in this sort of sequel to Demise, a book that was just full of straight white people, I I wanted to do something different. And one thing I can do is make everyone not so stereotypically white and heterosexual. So... I did try to spice things up a little bit. I do have a few women in this book, whereas Demise had very few women characters. So Rodney is not really um, noticeably different in any way because of his sexuality, which was part of the point. So his whole persona, though, is grounded in how he wants to help people, but also how he wants to use them. So he expects something back from the people that he helps, in a sense. So 
we will see more of that later on. But you see that Sarah is now in this place where he no longer has control over what he's able to do or who he is. He's only five years old, but he's been taking away from his home where he was comfortable, and now he's in a mental hospital, which is a terrible place for a five-year-old kid to be. But Rodney is going to make him comfortable, just not in a way that we would normally accept. So I will let that simmer with the audience before we move on into the next chapter with Holner. I've been thinking a lot about Holner, and I think I did an okay job making a, a woman who was unique, strong-willed, but she's also a villain. And this week I was reading Reddit, and there's buzz about this new Cruella de Vil series that's going to be on Disney+. And one of the top comments was, we need more women villains. So I think that I must have done something right with Ulner because I also agree that we need more women in that role because as an actor, a lot of women, you know, they're relegated to either side roles or if they do have a lead role, it's usually defending themselves against some other man or uh, evil force, but... We do need more women in those roles because, as we have seen with anyone from Heath Ledger to Giancarlo Esposito, hell, even fucking Citizen Kane with Orson Welles, these anti-heroes or straight-up villains, this is a great role for an actor. So... I don't think that Surviving New America will ever reach the popularity that it needs to become a book, but I, I think that someone would um, really like playing Holner because I'd really like to see it. In the Army, our drill sergeants made us run up long flights of stairs during training. By the time I get to the apartment, I'm not panting or sweating. Sometimes I walk up and need to take a break for a moment to breathe. Whatever cares cooking smells like sweet pork. He looks up from the stove when I walk in and I set the helmet on the counter before kissing him. Is this what you followed Bruce all over town for, Kier asks. Looks stupid, doesn't it, I say. Some kind of virtual reality mask. Oh, let me see. After we eat, I say. Besides, I haven't even tried it. As we sit on the couch with plates in our laps, Kier keeps looking over at the white helmet on the counter. Men and their intrigue are like curious cats getting killed. Luckily for him, he can cook better than me. The pork chops make me feel rich, like I have a gourmet chef living with me. So, how'd it go down, Kier asks. Bruce got a gun, I say, but I got it away from him. Gentry was so zonked out from the helmet that he didn't seem to care. How'd you get the gun? I don't want Kier to know that I broke Bruce's neck, so I take my last bite of pork in my mouth and walk over to the mask. Unlatching it, I look inside and don't see anything special. If it made Gentry a dumbass, I'm not sure I want to try it. Why did he even have a gun? Kier asks. 
Maybe it was for self-defense. From what? Rabid city bears? Do you want to try this on, I ask? I don't know anymore, Kier says. When I bring it over to the couch, Kier sighs and puts on the helmet anyway, which is about as predictable as a man falling asleep after he comes inside me. He doesn't know how to turn it on, of course. Once he starts asking me what to do, the mask ignites and he's awing over this whatever spectacle his brain creates. I had to take a, a, a good minute to figure out what the fuck I wrote here. Awing. Yes, that is a word. I'm not above trying it, but I didn't steal it for fun. I want to blackmail Gentry McCord for money because I'm broke. Even if he's got five grand to his name, his company is worth ten times that. With two grand, I could buy almost 3,000 cheeseburgers or around 8,000 ramen noodle packets. Millionaires don't exist quite yet, and a dollar buys so much. There's a furniture store in Atlanta called $300 Delivery. If you want a bed, you pay $300 for the product and delivery. They even set it up in your bedroom. I mean, it's a king-size bed with really nice framing with a mattress and box screen included. My rent is about $150 a month and with utilities included. A two-bedroom apartment with a decent kitchen and a bathtub slash shower combo might run $300. Minimum wage is three bucks. In New America, all healthcare is free, and there's not an internal revenue service. First thing President Torrance did in 2085 was abolish state governments that managed to survive since 2033. With the central government now serving all 48 states, we don't have mayors, governors, representatives, or senators. Considering the population went from 400 million to 10 million, all adults have to participate in mandatory voting. If I decide not to vote this December, the police show up at my door and offer to escort me to a designated voting facility. If I refuse, they arrest me and will not let me out until I decide to vote. There are no fines and no bail. Jury duty is sort of similar. Kier is leaning back with his head hanging off the couch. Whatever that helmet does, he might not have any use for me after this. Dudes and their dicks. He's probably imagining someone prettier than me. Unlatching the helmet, I take him out of his little world and set the thing on the kitchen counter so he can't grab it. Kier looks around the room before focusing on me and his eyes begin to water. Was they that good? Who did you fuck? I ask. Nobody, Kier says. I went into space. Like, I didn't leave Earth. I was floating in the black surrounded by planets and stars. Do you think about space a lot? I ask. Can I put it back on? Are we controlling the helmet or is it controlling our thoughts? Whatever Bruce got this, he isn't the engineer behind it. I don't like the idea of my brain losing mass. Kier's vision reveals his pure heart, but Gentry McCord instantly went to sex. If every person in New America got one of these, we'd all starve and wither into nothing. We should destroy it, I say. You'd shoot at a rainbow if everyone looked at it too long, Kier says. If Gentry starts making these in the genetic plant, he's going to be the first millionaire in New America. And you resent him for that? 
I resent the idea of him turning everyone into an addict for the sake of financial gain. He's not Harley Freudland. There's a reference for you. For those of you who are unaware who haven't read Demise of the Trinity, uh, Harley Freudland was a major character in that book. There are two names everyone knows, Harley Freudland and Alan Price. Since Price revealed that God and Satan actually exist by wrecking New York, Freudland's fond of communications made us all aware that the Antichrist was real too. Gentry is the grandson of John McCord, who is the last living owner of Genetic Moners, while it was helping Edison pump out more vehicles. While he isn't the Antichrist and started from nothing like the rest of us, Gentry has a direct tie to Freudland through his grandfather's involvement with Edison. Why do you want this to happen, I ask? We just restarted this economy and Gentry's going to ruin it again. You act like we're all going to be snorting meth. It's capable of good things. How do you not see the consequences of this? Because not everyone's an addict. We're not all a bunch of lemmings waiting for a fix. I'm not a hero. So why should I want to inhibit Gentry? I want money out of this. That's why Gentry wants too. Maybe I can get more than a few thousand then. If I was able to steal the helmet, then I can protect it too. Surely he can use a bulletproof lady to shield him from others trying to rise in the industry. If Gentry's going to get rich, I want to get rich too, I say. All right, so I know that the last episode was pretty short. So I'm going to read a third chapter, okay? Does that please you? But before I read the first chapter from Mansur Sean's perspective, what do we need to say about this? Okay, first of all, the haptic mask is an important part of this book. Essentially, if you haven't gathered what it does, uh, Mansur Sean designed it. And it has a chip in it that connects directly to your brain from your eyes. So theoretically, a blind person couldn't use it. But it takes control of your consciousness through your subconsciousness, if that makes sense. And you're able to explore things as if you're actually there. So it's almost like a dream, but more real. It's almost like the way Inception is. So... Some people see their true desires. Some people obviously use it for things like fucking people that they've always wanted to have sex with or doing drugs. You know, you sent, you feel a, an intense feeling of euphoria from it. And you're able to explore places that you would never see before. And in a sense, it is a metaphor for drugs and the way that corporations come up with these things that they want us to be addicted to, like our cell phones. I mean, what's funny is that we're all dependent on the internet now, and back in the 90s it was a novelty, you know. And Elon Musk, our antichrist, um, he says that we're already pretty much cyborgs because we all have our phones and it's always in our faces, and we feel lost without it. So I do kind of long for the days when the internet was just a novelty back in the 90s and we didn't all have our cell phones in front of us. Cell phones were a novelty. I mean, I'm not going to get into that, but you know what I'm talking about. And there are a lot of you out there who probably don't know what I'm talking about because you didn't 
have a life outside of what happened after the year 2000, which is crazy to think about because the year 2000 was over 20 years ago. And I'm almost 30, which is also crazy to think about. But enough of that. I'm going to get into Mansur Sean. I guarantee goddamn to you that people are going to get annoyed by me reading Mansur Sean because he is heavily inspired by a little-known man named Joe Exotic. People like Gentry McCord are trying to ruin New America, I say. President Hatcher raises an eyebrow while looking at the Supreme Court judges sitting to his right. These politicians fear innovation because of what happened the last time a corporation took initiative to improve this country. But Hatcher invited me based on the specs I submitted. He wouldn't want me here just to turn me down. To rely on motor vehicles just because we have roads left over from old America is lazy and too convenient for us to prosper. Look at our history, Mr. President. Innovation of transportation moved at a snail's pace after the interstate system. The automobile and fuel corporations kept handling our politicians' money under the table to keep them relevant. What I propose will create jobs, enhance our economy, and make for a more efficient way to get from point A to point B. Explain that to us, Mr. Sean, Hatcher says. Imagine being able to get from Atlanta to Seattle in five seconds time, I say. Now they're all looking at each other. Teleportation isn't like those Star Trek reruns. Instead, it's more like television. For decades, TV signals originated from coding sent through wires. If we can set a perfect image to a screen, why not encode people too? People seems like a way to create disaster, but we actually remain the same as when we step on a platform and step off. I brought my prototype to show all you, I say. Opening my case, I place the two steel boards on the floor and unravel the fiber cables between them. Hatcher and the rest of them think they're about to witness a suicide, but the Supreme Court is going to approve my funding as soon as this happens. I step on the platform, put the coordinate of the other platform in my wristband, and before I look up, I'm materializing again. Is this some sort of magic trick, Mr. Sean Hatcher asked? Did you bring both branches of your government together just to show us a trick? Would you like to try? Only after the vice president. Packing up the platforms when Hatcher stands over me and pats my back. He hasn't approved funding yet, but... He's certainly optimistic like me. I guess the real test will be showcasing a device between buildings and several miles and eventually traveling to another city. As long as we use the fiber cable and put graphene around each line, I'm hoping that we'll maintain a dependency on hard lines and never go back to the wireless technology like the internet again. We haven't started using cell phones again, so there's hope. Man, sir. Hatcher says past 10 years, everyone's been wondering who'd be the first new American millionaire. 
If you can pull this off, you'll probably be the richest man living until you die. That's ominous, but true. We only possess our money until we depart. I don't know what heaven is like, but I'd like to avoid hell. I tested this prototype to frequently, so frequently, to make sure I wouldn't be responsible for any deaths. The most hazardous part of innovation is the potential for fatalities, and nobody wants to go to hell just because they want to improve the world. I'm going to stop genetic motors, Mr. President, I say. We still haven't recovered from the pollution of the 20th century. Polluting our environment again is two steps backward. I can't disagree, he says. Listen, my term is up in January and the Supreme Court is still adamant about keeping one term per president. That leaves us with five months, but if I can get your funding approved, I'm hoping that you're not going to fuck this up. I need to convince them to give me another shot. Well, if it means better in the country, I'll do whatever you want. What I'm going to do is call your bluff, man, sir. I'm authorizing a grant for this project. You said you can take anyone from Atlanta and put them in Seattle, right? So, let's do it. You want me to bury about 2,600 miles of cable. I'll get you as many men as you need, too. If you can do it in a month, 30 days, I'll bet my nuts you'll get funded. 30 days, I ask. Teleportation, as I designed, is supposed to work based on several systems worth of cable, not just a straight line from one side of the country to the next. Technically, you'd have to travel from Atlanta to Birmingham to Frankfurt and so on. Yeah, it would take a few seconds, but that's how the device works. It's like a hive that works together. That's all I can allow. Well, how about Atlanta to D.C., I ask. That's... That way I can establish part of the network as we go along. You said Atlanta to Seattle. That would take a lot longer than 30 days, sir. But you can manage Atlanta to, to D.C. Just about. If I have enough workers. He nods and walks out of the room. I'm alone in a room where men like Ronald Reagan decided to invade Korea and President Hatcher wants me to help him invert what the Supreme Court started only 10 years ago. Each president gets a five-year term and can never run for re-election. That's to protect the country from itself. Admittedly, I had a leg up on a lot of new Americans in that my family owned a crank-operated generator. My father modified it to run on water pressure from a nearby stream. He owned a library's worth of technical and scientific tech, so he homeschooled me to grow into an innovator. We wound our own light bulbs and repaired appliances from old America. Thankfully, my parents are still alive, though in their 70s. If Father knew I was riding in a taxi to, to a hotel, he'd beat me over the head with a wooden spoon. Automobiles lost their importance the moment they started carving into our atmosphere. I'm getting on a plane later and that people in the 2030s flew in and Edison never got around to lessening their fuel emissions. Once I'm in my room, I need to call Bruce to see if Gentry McCord bought our prototype. I have multiple models of the haptic mask in my lab, but we need genetics factory for production. 
My hope is that we can cut down on the automobile production and refocus their efforts on the haptic mask. Bruce isn't answering his phone. I can't call Gentry because he doesn't know I'm the one behind the haptic mask. I'm sure he enjoyed the experience, though I'm smart enough to use mine in moderation. Not even once a day. But it's a useful tool for depression and lonely people. No one has to spend more of their money on media if their brain loops in endless entertainment. People won't feel the need to travel or go on useless road trips to see the ruins in New York. I'll have to get back with Bruce in Atlanta. I sure as hell miss him. For now, I'm going to figure out how to wire my teleportation system from Atlanta to Columbia to Raleigh to Richmond and finally D.C. Even this distance proves challenging in 30 days. If I can transport a few of the Supreme Court judges to Atlanta in an instant, then they have to give me funding. There's no way I'm going to fail. Yeah, I'm not sure why, but reading that last chapter really fucked up my vocal cords. <laughs> um, I hope that that was enjoyable. I really loved writing Mansur's character. I got to hear Joe Exotic's voice in my head all the time, so that was fun course if you follow me on twitter you probably know that i did write him in prison and he responded he was very kind to me and i was actually rooting for him to get a pardon and i thought maybe trump would do it but it didn't happen and supposedly now he's trying to get pardoned through biden but uh he spent too much time kissing trump's ass to really get anywhere i'm sure and if you watch his YouTube videos, you know that he wasn't a Trump fan, so that didn't really help. Um, to be a notorious Trump hater, and then all of a sudden, oh, God bless Donald Trump, he's going to let me out of prison, yeah, doesn't really work. So I, I'm pretty sure that if Don Jr. was paying attention to Tiger King, all he had to do was Google and find Joe Exotic's internet channel internet channel his youtube channel i sound like an old man so yeah i put out this book and i'm not sure if it's any good so i guess i'll find out as time goes on but i am having a lot of fun reading it again to you guys so i hope you enjoy it and this has been demise of the podcast with patrick attaway happy reading